Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today I interviewed Jacob Cole. He, he is an entrepreneur in San Francisco and a friend of mine. And we have a guest room in San Francisco and he uh, decided to stay one day and so he thought it'd be cool to do a, an interview. And Jacob had just signed some term sheets with some pretty famous investors and so it was, a, it was very interesting to get his insight into a lot of the things that we discuss here. Uh, if you like this episode, please find us on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, any of the major po- podcasting platforms and go ahead and give us a review. And if you really like it, please go ahead and subscribe as well. As always, I'm on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, III. My DMs are open. If you follow me, you can go ahead and send me a message. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you think about this episode or any of the other episodes we've been publishing. Thank you. Have a great day. So, Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest here is Jacob Cole. He is the CEO and co-founder of IdeaFlow. Um, and welcome to the show. Yeah, great. And thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, so what is IdeaFlow? We are building an external knowledge base system that acts like your brain does. So it allows you to capture linked information, which the physical world media we've used for thousands of years in the past are really bad at. So essentially, you mean in the same way as the brain does because brains essentially make connections between neurons and, and when you say that media doesn't do that traditionally, media has no connection. So if I were to open up a magazine, the content in that magazine would not connect to another magazine. Well, it's like if I'm reading an article and I see the name of a company I recognize, my brain will be like, oh, I have information this a tidbit from this past article i read this tidbit from this news thing i read this tidbit from this meeting i had and it'll stitch all those tidbits together and summon them right there but the thing is um there's no uh digital tool that allows you to see the world in the way that you see it in sort of your inner eye or your inner voice Mm the relational uh, fragments of information, not just from, uh, not, not just an entire document, but the entity within a document. And this was actually part of Tim Berners-Lee's uh, three-step plan for the web. And I uh, was actually advised by Tim Berners-Lee briefly at MIT. And he uh, said that the actual potential of the web, the actual thing that is interesting to him these days about where the web can go is not structurally what we see right now. Instead, he posed he posed the question of, um, you know, imagine we're trying to solve a very, very difficult problem that's very urgent for the world. So he says, for instance, there are millions of scientists trying to cure the likes of AIDS and Alzheimer's. Maybe that cure is actually already here, but separated in different people's heads or in different research papers or in different documents how can we design the web to help these half-formed solutions to come together? And the key thing is, um, the answers to many really difficult questions um, are actually simple once you find them. Uh, For instance, um, one great example here is the discovery of chemotherapy. Uh, Do you know anything about how chemotherapy was discovered? So it was discovered after the bombing of Pearl Harbor and it was discovered because the U.S. had had a secret stash of mustard gas. Mm. And so when Pearl Harbor was bombed, 
a bunch of U.S. soldiers were suddenly exposed to mustard gas. And then the doctors were looking at mustard gas patients for the first time in a long time. And they noticed that mustard gas exposure decreases white blood cell count. And doctors sitting there and thinking about it, and they realized, you know, wait a second, leukemia kills you by increasing white blood cell count. It's cancer of the, the blood. What if we gave a terminally ill leukemia patient like a small dose of mustard gas? And that was the first chemotherapy. And the thing is, is these facts had been known separately um, for a long time. It was in papers. It was like one paper may have said, you know, uh, mustard gas patients were observed to have this uh, white blood cell count decreased and also this and also that and also that and lost in that morass of information, those, these fragments of assertions, um, there's like the, a hint at what might be an antidote to chemotherapy, which there are plenty of articles that oh, these increase white blood cell count. So if you could extract all these fragments from these different documents, and you could um, have a system that's not a poor human who has to read all the documents to help with that, you could presumably cure a lot of diseases and solve a lot of different difficult problems. And many, many problems in science come down to this. And so this is what I'm hoping to be the torchbearer for and try to solve. That's the large long-term vision is essentially to create a platform under which uh, information can get dispersed and re relationed between different nodes, basically. And then the people themselves, because that's what I was talking about somebody earlier today, is that uh, computers are very good at linear processes, like having like tons of horsepower to solve really intense linear processes, but they're very bad at nonlinear things. Human beings are better at nonlinear things, but we're still not that amazing at nonlinear linear things. Well, we could get you to get into a conversation about that, mm -hmm. about nonlinearity and linearity. What did that spark? Yes. Well, so very interesting. Okay, so um, let's consider a task that is a great example of a task that is nonlinear and that, you know, I think humans can get pretty good at. Um, and it's a task that I think is a very important task for the world and may be a great application for some parallel computing architectures in the future. Um, it is the connecting related ideas problem. So like one of the deep problems that is at the heart of me is um, I see myself, intellectually at least, the intellectual dimension of myself as a vessel for ideas. I'm a web of, oh, I've got this idea, and that's connected to this other related idea, and this is connected to this other related idea, um, there's this graph of ideas in my head, and there's this graph of ideas in your head, and when we talk, what happens is we intermesh a little piece of our knowledge graphs. And intellectual soulmates come when you um, introduce two people to each other who have like a deeply overlapping, though not identical, web of ideas, and you realize that you've got this like amazing, amazing overlapping thing. And it's such a shame when it, we, we live in the Wild West today. We live in the Wild West. Like, it's only by chance that these intellectual soulmates find each other or a good introduction. And we have to do this all manually. And we never know. There could be, like, some kid in Macedonia who, like, has totally in your wavelength. True story. There's a good friend of mine from MIT who's from Macedonia. And it took years to realize how long of a wait, how much of the same wavelength we are on. Well, that's interesting because I'm, I'm thinking about it right now because what you just said is a huge reason why I do the podcast because mm -hmm. I get into conversations. Uh, but these conversations don't happen without a microphone. So they only seem to happen with a microphone. And it's happening right now because we've just been hanging out for the last 30 minutes. 
and we were talking about random stuff, but we didn't really get into anything mm-hmm. meaningful. And then we put a microphone in front of us, and all of a sudden we're starting to talk about something that I find very interesting, hmm. uh, which is there's a um, stimulus. There's a stimulus that, yeah. that, that brought out a conversation which wouldn't normally have happened, basically. Which is really interesting because that and that's just putting and that's what I discovered. I didn't know that before I started putting microphones in front of people that 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 happens. And it, maybe it's something in me that I be like, oh, somebody's listening to this. I've got to make this interesting, so I've got to do it. Or maybe it's just the other person. It's like, oh, they're being recorded, so it adds this extra little stimulus. I love it. Uh, I, as someone who loves acting, this yeah. is this is totally resonant. Um, second, the. One of the great tragedies, uh, one of my philosophies, and this goes down to uh, the meditation end of thing that seems to really work, is don't let the energy escape. And that is a big statement, and I mean energy in many senses of the term when I say it. I mean energy as in, I have a lot of energy energy, and that's a resource to be channeled. I mean energy in the awe, oh, I feel the chi flowing between my fingers. I also mean it in terms of um, sometimes literal, like the physics definition of energy, like there is a bunch of physical energy potential, uh, and I don't want it to escape. And I lastly mean it in terms of the information energy duality, um, which is like, you know, if there's a uh, really organized set of file boxes, I feel, or, or th- uh, if, if papers are organized in a bunch of stacks on my desk, I won't just pile them all up and shove them in a drawer. This physically is like, ah, oh, don't do that. The entropy has just I've, just, I've just created more entropy. Um, and there's a, a deep instinct in there that I think is, is healthy um, at, some, at some level. Um, but anyway, with the microphone, there are all these golden conversations that nobody is recording. And they happen again and again and again. And part of the reason I got so into what I was doing is um, I was in Silicon Valley over the summers interning and, and so on and so forth. And... I'd go to these very interesting groups of people and, the, you know, Silicon Valley is a special, special place, I think, especially in 2012, 2013, at least for me. I'd go to these intellectual salons. I would go to from one friend's community house to another friend's community house. And it was just like something had happened. The energy was there. You could just, you could, and this is another use of energy, but I could feel the, the, the energy. And I felt the energy in a very similar way. I felt the energy a couple of years ago in the blockchain ecosystem. It's just like, the people are all coming together and things are pulsing. You know something's happening. It must have been what it was like to be, I don't know, in America before the revolution or, or something. Vienna at the time of uh, Jung and, um, and uh, uh, Freud. Yeah, exactly. Stuff was just happening at, at that point. But um, anyway, the um, I'd have conversations and then I'd have a repeated or overlapping conversation. And I almost felt like I had the ability to do a conversation fast forward in my head. And I considered writing a Chrome extension, which I may still do. It's the conversation fast forward button for Facebook. Uh, what is it? What, what would that mean? Imagine you're having a conversation with someone and it's, it pops up a little uh, dialogue. that says, hey, this conversation's been had before. Did you know? <laughs> and here's the, it's been had before, not just once, but like 500 times and all those other times. And it's been had by people who are thoughtful, like mm. by thoughtful people. And, or maybe, you know, there's three categories of outcomes of this conversation that have happened here's a b and c do you want to fast forward and see what happens and then you don't have to have the conversation Mm. and certainly having had so many repetitive conversations that left in the same place intellectually um that was an an interesting uh spark and then the other spark is 
oftentimes like there's asymmetrical answers. One of my favorite quotes, and I've only become I've only come to like it more, is um, William Gibson's "The future is here; it's just not evenly distributed." Yeah, and like a lot of problems in the world are, that are problems for one subgroup of people are totally non-problems for another subgroup of people. And it's just a matter of translating the the solution from point A to point B. But then we get new problems. So like we have a new problem here in Silicon Valley that has been around for a lot longer than everyone else, which is that we are our minds are totally uh, stimulus response on technology. So that our phones basically control most of our lives. I would say. Yeah. Uh, and that's a new problem so that we also had a lot of solutions that happened, but we also had a lot of new problems that are happening. Now those new problems have, some would say, modified the incentives in our political system to a way that is now much more uh, divisive than it's been ever. So are you saying the devices are divisive? <laughs> I, could say, I would say that they put a volume way up on divisiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, I can resonate with that. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, so along those lines, um, okay, so the Jacob approach to this problem is let us find a subgroup of people who has somehow evolved immunity to this um, and then try to distribute whatever the heck they've figured out how to resist this. Maybe they've started doing a mental sort of Pilates that allows them to be less vulnerable to the destabilizing effects of the uh well that's that's what that's that's what i feel like i'm trying to do because i've noticed that the there there is no battling the algorithms the algorithms are much smarter than me they're much more uh so there's no there's any fight with with these companies is going to lose at, at an individual level between me and facebook facebook has millions of dollars going into uh ways to make me sh- stay on their platform and make me engaged on a super stimulus yeah yeah super stimulus and so there's no there's no battle the only way i can figure out how to do it is to integrate it and to integrate it then we can kind of go to much older traditions of awareness and attention uh and those have been much more foundational in me not getting outraged not spending my time going down sinkholes of of intellectual bullshit uh not like just wasting my time. I'm still waste a lot of time, but I believe I've done a lot less of it. And it has nothing to do with fighting or conflicting mm. or anything like that. It has more to do with integrating, talking about that energy. Essentially, there's a reason why I'm checking Facebook at all these random times in the day. And it usually has something to do with the fact that I find something about the current moment uh, unsatisfactory or I've been or I've had an emotional experience which has been difficult or something like that. And so then I, I seek and seeking is a very common thing, you know, in, in, in all in all species. Seek, seeking is a primary uh, state of, of, of being. Uh, and th- there's a stimulus there, and if I can look at that stimulus and inquire into the stimulus, then that particular version of the stimulus then doesn't necessarily affect me. The problem is, is that there's mm-hmm. layers and layers and layers and layers, and there's this, but it's always an opportunity for more essential inquiry and more work and stuff like that. Wow, actually, that makes me start to wonder, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. Um, healthy reactions to stuff, you know, evolutionarily. Like, okay, so so one thing that comes to mind again and again, and this came up in the book The Art of Learning, if you ever read that. Mm, no. Uh, highly recommend. It's a book um, by this guy, Josh Waitskin, 
who is was the U.S. junior national chess champion mm. many times over, and then he became the world pushing hands Tai Chi champion six times. Cool. And he got into Tai Chi because he was really burned out of chess, mm. and he wanted to quote unquote blunt his sharpness. Hmm. And he started to heal, but then he became so centered. He wanted to learn to test that centeredness through competitive action. Huh. And so, anyway... Um, and then he did competitive action. He got through push hands. And he got really into push hands. Mm-hmm. By the way, if you want to... We, I feel like it would be fun to do a quick push hands demo on the podcast <laughs> if you've never tried before. Uh, we have, I've never tried. Yeah. And I wonder whether we can do that. Uh, I bet, I bet in we can. Of video. Yeah, we can try. Yeah. Want to try? Uh, well, let's, let's save that for the end. Yeah, let's do it. The, yeah, the, yeah. We're going to have a demo of idea flow and push hands push hands two demos <laughs> um, okay so okay so one thing is um like a lot of training josh waitskin says um is like done with the attitude of you know i'm not going to be flustered or not going to be affected by some stimulus coming at me but the very highest level people don't ignore the stimulus they channel it mm-hmm. and they recognize from like an evolutionary, so the one example he gave is like something, I don't know anything about baseball, but in, in pro baseball, um, one tactic that pitchers use to scare players is beaning them, hitting them with the ball. Mm. And um, some, and it's really painful, like they can break a rib with a professional pitcher doing that. And this is a way to scare, and of course it's a foulish thing, but it will prevent the best people from scoring. Mm. And there's some super superstar baseball players who pitchers got scared of beaning because if they get scared of beaning, if they bean them, they get, they get mad and the anger doesn't turn into chaos. It turn, gets channeled into pure, like extra power. And they yeah. know they've awakened a giant if they mm-hmm. bean the guy. Interesting. And so you don't want to, so, so this is the, the, the hallmark of true mastery is when people, when you get these stimuli, it, it channels into good stuff. So, okay. So a lot of issues, in behavior, behavioral issues come down to, um, I think that people struggle with, certainly that I sometimes struggle with, is seeking distraction. And um, I'm trying to figure out how do I come to a more healthy relationship with whatever stimulus that is leading me to seek distraction. How can I channel that stimulus into the thing it was designed for evolutionarily, which is to make me more powerful? How can I redirect that energy instead of trying to release it. Um, one concept that I think is powerful for some people is redirecting tension instead of releasing tension. The problem is not that you have tension. It's just a matter of like, Stuck. can you direct the tension to something useful or not? And mm-hmm. it's energy to be channeled. Mm-hmm. And the question is, is like with these super stimuli, like these addictive things like Facebook and all these digital distracting media, how do we redirect whatever is leading us to go to them, that moment of stimulus to do something healthy. And I, and I don't have any clue, but you tell me. Mm, yeah, well, I, I also don't have a clue except for a lot of times I just let myself do it. And then I read something really great. Every time that it, you do it, you ask yourself, what am I looking for? And allowing the answer to come up. So it's like, if you ask yourself that question, what am I looking for? And you're in one of these negative thought spirals. Mm-hmm. You ask yourself, what am I looking for? It's probably not going to be something on Facebook. It's probably going to be something else, something deeper. And you can continuously ask this question. So, for example, we can do it right now um, if, if you're open to yeah. it. Uh, so, you do you currently have pain in your wrist? You said you have RSI, right? Yeah. yeah. Can you feel it right now? Yeah. Can you ask yourself what it wants? Yeah. 
the immediate thing that came to mind is it sort of wants to be bathed in a balm of fluid and healing juices and stuff like that, like hydraulically nourished. And on a... So wait, and what does it want uh, that's even more important than that? To be taken care of. And what does it want that's even more important than that? One layer of abstraction up, sometimes pain properly considered becomes a message saying, uh, demanding attention, Mm. attention. Mm. So it wants attention. And what is the end goal of that attention? To lift me off of the unthinking pattern of existing I'm on Mm. and to change the samskara maybe how can how can you get to that state with all the without all the intermediate steps and it could come as a feeling state and this is not necessarily the best for the for the podcast part, but it could come as a, a nonverbal expression or a nonverbal feeling. Well, one cool thing is as I let my attention rest in my hands, they certainly have become warmer. And also another thing I wanted to mention was that you you mentioned the bathing in the fluid uh and it's funny because it is in a fluid right now it is in a liquid matrix of of connective tissue fascia uh, and other things and but a lot of times the restriction and that pain and stuff like that comes from uh internal uh adhesions or contractures in the fascia and the myofibroblasts and those essentially create this connective tissue bed which is stiff um, and so one way to do that is to move, uh, is to find that gentle movement and then finding that gentle movement right at the edge of pain. So really coming to the edge of increased pain and then moving within that pace, part of it edge would, at increased pain. I'm doing little tiny hand circles while everything else remains still. And then, yeah, and you can get really subtle. It sounds like it, it, I can tell you have a very, uh, very uh, sensitive uh, subtlety to the to, to what you're doing. Um, and it, yeah, it can get very, very subtle in the movements and stuff like that. It's cool to feel a sensation of complete connection between my thumb and my in and my middle finger right now the thumb of my you can't see it on the screen but uh just point the point
point the camera down. The thumb of my right hand points to the index finger of my left or the middle finger of my left hand, and I feel a sense of circulation. If one moves, the other moves, the tiniest bit, the micro motions. I feel a sense of my of awareness or energy flowing out of my thumb and being captured in my opposite middle finger and my attention forms that circle. Now, there's lots of these circles that I've noticed before, and my more typical one is pinky to pinky, but they all seem to do something fairly cool. Um, have you read any... So you're talking about this energy that's that's going beyond the membrane of the skin, um, and I've felt it many times, uh, yet there is no way that modern science has uh, come up with a way that we could actually, or they've come up with a theory that we can delineate how does sensation leave. I have coming up with one right now, which is we have this map of the body that's in the brain. And that map of the body basically allows us to feel the body. But then whenever we pick up something as well, it also allows us to model that very quickly. Um, and I wonder if this feeling of sensation of chi also has something to do with that. Mm, proprioceptive in some capacity but it's and, proprioception outside of the joints but it's probably mm, it's probably modeled from the joints and the brain yeah I, that's consistent with a related thing and you know i feel almost inclined to start mapping ideas here the mapping linked ideas um because uh there's this eckhart tolle and we can map them in just a second okay there's this eckhart tolle meditation mm. that entails um, doing something along the lines of closing your eyes and asking yourself, how do you know where your wrist is? Hmm. I think it's Eckhart Tolle, at least. How do you know where each of these things are in space? And he says, you know, or whoever it was says, um, if you can perceive the position of your joints in space, that sense, that sense is identical to the sense of quote-unquote energy. Mm. And then it becomes an art of, well, it's a lot like interior decoration <laughs> at that point. It's like, you know, you can feel the sensation making art out of the alignments of those things. Some of the most of the alignments are boring, but some of the alignments are like awesome. Mm. And that alignment of your, that those alignments that are awesome are the energetically mm. powerful postures of say Qigong. And why does emotion get in the way of that? So the question that comes up to my mind is like, that I had that when I was younger, as a baby that, that, was, that existed in my body. Uh, and then at some point, the trauma of life basically hit me off of it. Hit you off of being able to perceive the 
the that positive alignment of energetic flow like so like when mm. you were just saying that i had a sensation in my in my neck of like the neck basically coming into some sort of alignment um but uh, i want to back this up a little bit because probably a lot of the people who are listening have this idea that there is one posture that is good mm-hmm. but we have not actually found any posture that is good so there is there's no wait we, we i think we found many postures that are good there there are and that is because the tissue is viscoelastic and so it can't be loaded continuously so we're always moving dynamically uh but then there is this sensation of like when you really kind of sit up straight and then but then there's it goes back to yoga the stira and sukha the 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 combination between um solidness and and joy and happiness that you can find but it's always evolving it's always dynamic well my less nuanced experience has been there are some apparently still positions that feel pretty darn good Mm. one of my qigong teachers says that nothing is static really and you're always in this sort of like alive you've got always aliveness this play but you know i really like just standing like this holding my arms up in front of my Mm. head for like five ten minutes in qigong class this is amazing just finding that apparent stillness my qigong teacher says ah there's actually tiny pulsing but i don't think that's like even that maybe it's probably true but i haven't found that to be an essential visual aid i think pretending to be still and letting letting the waves of my emotions break on the rock of my posture letting my head remain level so that i may remain level-headed works Mm. i like this this metaphor there's this great book by george lakoff who talks and he talks about um how metaphor is the, like a way that p- child, children pick up metaphors and without actually having to try. And what did you just say about the neck? Well, let the waves of your emotion break on the rock of your posture and let your head remain level so that you may... Remain if you level. keep your head level, physically level... And move through the world with that grace, the kind of grace that you could balance a book on top of your head. It has this emotional feedback that can be tapped into. And it's that level-headed thing, that level-headed, like that's a direct rep- a metaphor that has to do with the body itself. And yeah. that's where this comes from, is this embodied um, cognition. And level-headed, everyone knows what that means. Um, and then why do we, and going back to our earlier discussion of like Facebook and all these different kind of technologies that are now they take us off this level-headed kind of thing. Um, but then, yeah, it goes back again to this Qigong uh, level-headed, like how can I find level-headedness in my body so that it then creates a feedback loop which creates a level-headed mind as well. Mm-hmm. Creating a body that's so comfortable to be in that it can't be bothered to be sucked into reading Facebook and slumping and all these other things. But then there is that there is utility to it as well. There is utility to the Facebook and the Twitter as well. So because you've probably gone on there, I've, I know that I've gone on Facebook at some point and found a connection. I, that's how I found this house actually. It was was through a friend of mine uh, uh, posting. Uh, oh, oh yeah, it's like an abusive relationship. It's like you know, <laughs> it's got this good part, but it's also this bad part. That's the hallmark of an abusive relationship. It's Very terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good point. And so okay. So the actual, so, you know, there is all this stuff that we as, um, 
as uh, you know, I need a better preceding adjective. But I was going to say digital warriors, mm-hmm. digital warrior poets. No, but I need a, a um, philosopher kings. Yes, yeah. philosopher kings, warrior poets. All these, all these ideas. <laughs> but as digital warriors, we can become strong against all these forces. Um, at the same time, we can't. We can never forget and we can never forgive the real the real um travesty and the real travesty is that we are slaves of the interfaces that these companies are feeding us and for instance iphones though fortunately not desktop computers make it really difficult to install a layer between the stuff the phone and you there's no equivalent of chrome adblock on iPhone. And we've slowly started to get a few reasonable things at that layer, like screen time, which has saved my butt a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But the dream of my company uh, is fixing the internet in a lot of different ways and fixing the experience of computers, because I think it's got off track, mm-hmm. such that you can have this layer where you're not a prisoner to the interfaces where information is presented, but instead you can suck it into IdeaFlow, which is this layer mm. for manipulating information on your own terms mm. and pushing back out information on your own terms. So for instance, like, that's crazy. I pay for Crunchbase and I also have a LinkedIn and a Facebook. But just the other day I was trying to see, okay, which of my friends have founded companies that are backed by Sequoia. And the information is there between these two data sources, but the interface that Crunchbase provides and the interface that Facebook or LinkedIn provides uh, doesn't allow me to extract the data, which is mine, and intermesh it. And so IdeaFlow is trying to create a layer where you can take the dumps of these data sources or whatever way you get it out of these data sources and then intermesh it all into one place to answer questions that would have been really difficult to answer. Um, and how and do you do you have do you have access to Facebook right now? If I can you use it to search both of those databases or tap tap in both of those databases? I, you can I can do use IdeaFlow to tap these multiple data sources to answer various questions uh-huh. that you couldn't answer with just one data source. Interesting. And then the other cool thing is we're going to eventually make it allow you to push stuff back out. Mm. So, say you are a salesperson, you use a CRM like uh, Salesforce or Airtable or just a spreadsheet of contacts. Um, Nobody likes typing notes in Salesforce. And also, um, you might have a teammate who has got notes on a given contact, um, but it's not in your notebook. So when you're talking about that contact, you don't easily you're not e- easily able to see the information from that that is actually relevant to you right now. And so our system firstly allows you to pull in to this idea flow layer, this layer on top of your rest of computing experience. Um, it allows you to pull into that layer uh, all the contacts you have, but then it also allows you to push back 
to something like Salesforce without having to go through the cumbersome interface of it. Also, the video stopped. Yeah, the video stopped too. But it's fine, we still got that. Yeah, still got audio. Yep. Um, so that's really interesting. So you've got, you're going to build a bi-directional way of, so that I would not actually need to spend time on Facebook. Or yep. Like that. You could just suck it, take the information in yeah, the yeah. filters. It could have either human or, or machine filters in between. How are you guys using machine uh, learning for, or artificial intelligence? Ah, so one of those ways, machine learning, yeah. you know? <laughs> Having a frigging like little heuristic that you can just say, hey, I want to exclude everything that contains like these keywords is like 80% of what you want. Mm. You can use like some machine learning to say, you know, I want to exclude all political posts or all friends' baby pictures mm -hmm. from my news feed. Mm -hmm. But like one of the travesties of the present day, and I was just talking with some leading investors about this exact topic. Um, well, there's this talk of potentially breaking up a monopoly like Facebook, mm. but there's an alternative way you could break it up, which is uh, instead of uh, splitting it into multiple companies, you bre uh, break it up vertically. Uh -huh. Meaning, like, what if you, why, okay, all your friends are posting on all their walls, and the only get game in town to prioritize and filter that content is your newsfeed, is Facebook's newsfeed algorithm. Mm. You know, why can't you say, I can use my own newsfeed algorithm? Why couldn't you use Google's newsfeed algorithm? Why couldn't you use, like, you know, today I want to see friends' baby pictures and tomorrow I want to see a different kind of thing. We're, there's so little flexibility afforded by Facebook. And that's the real slavery here. And that's the walled garden, essentially, yeah. yeah. And I think, like, in terms of what's good for the future of the internet, you know, that is even more exciting to me than breaking up a monopoly like Facebook. Because even if you did break up the monopoly of Facebook, it wouldn't solve that problem. Yeah. And that's a problem that's was Tim, going back to Tim Berners-Lee. Like, yeah. like that's a problem that he uh, did not envision when he was helping to start that, start the internet. Is like it was supposed to be this open source, but in this, in a, and now we've got walled gardens not only at the level of Facebook, but we're also seeing starting to see walled gardens in terms of uh, actual whole nations as well. I was just talking to somebody who was in Tanzania a few days ago, and same thing that is happening in China is now happening in Tanzania in terms of their internet. Um, and China is actually exporting a lot of the technology that they've built called surveillance technology uh, in or, in or into, into other countries. And it's starting to see essentially a, a second Cold War where we're going to have a fight off against an open free internet and a, a state-sponsored uh, uh, closed internet. But I think there are new technologies, you know, and I hate to use the word again, but block, like blockchain, like or some sort of distributed ledger technology. Do you think there's any possibility of, of essentially building a new type of technology that somehow allows us to, I mean, we already have it in China, but, but it's just not evenly distributed. The future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. Yeah. Um, well, um, a couple of things. First, um, One, uh, so, okay, so, firstly, uh, I, I've worked at the MIT Decentralized Information Group for a while, and I have many of the ethics in common with it. I am also largely turned a skeptical eye to many of the things that have gotten popular in the decentralized uh, situation. Mm -hmm. I do think a few things are great ideas, though. Um, 
One is, and I think Quan Bennett, founder of Filecoin and IPFS, gave a great example in his talk at the Long Now Foundation, which is during the election in Catalonia in Spain, in the key districts that there was a referendum where they th in, in many of the key there's a referendum about should Catalonia secede from Spain or I think it was Catalonia or something like that secede from Spain some, some part um, the internet just went down on election day mm. mysteriously mm. because that way it would make it harder for people to find the polling locations to mm. go vote in this referendum. And IPFS man came to the rescue. Juan. What What's that? What is IPFS man? Oh, IPFS is Juan's internet protocol file system. It's uh, Juan's uh. product with protocol labs, uh, which is responding to mm. an egregious gap mm. in our technology, mm -hmm. which is that, yo, in his audience, to the audience in the Long Now Foundation, he said, the fundamental motivation behind IPFS is we are in, right now, a lecture hall, like 500 people, probably half the people have laptops and everyone else has phones. Every one of these is hundreds or thousands or maybe millions of times more powerful than the computers that brought uh, humans to the moon. And if for one moment, the backbone of the internet off somewhere else in California, somewhere else in Washington, DC, they pull the plug. Why does that suddenly mean all these amazing devices can't communicate to each other? Mm. We should have at least some insurance policy for humanity that allows us to communicate in the face of this and just no one's bothered to write the software. Mm. That's what we're doing. And then they raise hundreds of millions of dollars and they're doing it. And so mm. the, uh, I'm glad someone's, someone's on it. Uh, but they used that technology to sort of locally disseminate uh, polling information, mm. even in the face of top-down backbone being yanked nice. out. Nice. And so anyway, mm. the thing is, is, I think those technologies such that, you know, if someone can literally airdrop a USB past the firewall, it can suddenly disseminate everywhere internally. That's valuable. Um, I think steganography is a great thing, hiding information in other things, like hiding information in a Skype call, and you can't, you have plausible deniability. Mm. Like, it just looks like a normal Skype call, except unless you have a key which allows you to know what to look for. So this is this. These these all seem like really good solutions for um, uh, some part of the population who realize that we're turning into a cyberpunk kind of uh, story. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> but uh, but I worry because I was talking to this woman in Tanzania and uh, in other countries that are essentially leapfrogging. You have part of the population that does has access to that stuff, but there's a lot of population that basically consumes the. Uh, messages and the stories and the narratives of the government uh, very quickly uh, and very wholly and well actually it happens here in the United States as well uh, people who, who who believe the messages that their political leaders are kind of offering them uh, and don't really check on the other side or other source and 
that one is really scary because in China, VPN technology exists. These technologies exist, but they're not widely distributed. Like you said, they're mm-hmm. they're only in a small part, mm-hmm. and that's that's I see a challenge there. It, yeah. So so um, this actually points to another. Like I said, like more largely, like long term mission of my company is fixing the internet. Mm. Like I don't know if Google's mission was don't be evil. Um, initially, mine is fix the internet, like fix all the things that are broken about the internet. Let's just get the best people together who really, really ha- are good hearted. By the way, speaking of amazing people, Brewster Kale. Do you know who Brewster Kale is? Internet Archive. He made the Wayback Machine. Nicest guy on the internet. Um, he he founded the company Alexa, which sold to, to Amazon like 20 years ago. Made like quarter billion dollars or something. Mm. And he just funds really worthwhile stuff like cool. you know he archived the whole internet and he sees himself as like uh, this oh, oh, playing oh, this role the internet archive is amazing Brewster Kill's amazing um one of the most amazing organizations best taste tasteful people i want to nucleate i want to create a hub for a rallying point for all the tasteful people mm. who want to go build the stuff that can do it and I want to build a larger community not just the people who have the time or the skills to work on it but I just want to build like this community of all the tasteful people probably merge with the Internet Archive community anyway I was talking had a great call with I think his name was Roger McDonald from Internet Archive amazing guy as well very thoughtful there's a lot of political fact-checking stuff um, and one thing we really agreed on was fixing one obvious missing thing on the internet is a review site or maybe multiple review sites which act as reputation brokers. Brands are the physical world best best attempt at this. We trust brands. Brands are easy. It's like, you know, in the olden days, especially since you couldn't just look up reviews of products. It's like, you know, if I buy something from a certain brand, it's going to be good if the brand didn't live up to its reputation, it uh, would hurt the entire brand, so they had a, needed to have a, a reputation for, for quality. And similarly, newscasters had a reputation. If they started lying to you, like they would lose their reputation, and people would trust the, the person. But as one of my friends said, uh, brands are sort, of, uh, are sort of outdated. And... Instead, what we could create with the internet is a trust broker and multiple trust brokers. So maybe there's this new brand that's actually strictly better than all the recognizable brands. It should be a meritocracy. It should be a meritocracy. It should be reviewed by someone who many people trust, this trust broker. And then when you're at the store, the online store, perhaps, and you see this brand, your little sidebar should pop up and say, uh, hey, you know what? A trust broker who you trust, a reviewer who you trust, has said that this thing is top tier. Mm. And it should be the case that search results, 
say on Amazon aren't just determined by Amazon, but it's determined by the trust. the trust brokers that you trust. And you can say, hey, this trust broker is someone I trust, another one I don't trust. Now, where this all interfaces with the whole China and, um, you know, North Korea is like the, the caricature, the exaggeration, the, I don't know what's a better word, the, the, words. the epitome of this. Yeah. And like, you know, China and Tanzania are just North Korea, but less so. Yeah. Um, yeah. You have, um, if you can instill in users of the internet, maybe even through the companies like Google and Firefox, all like putting these as essential components of the web browser, like a homepage. Because, you know, if Tanzania suddenly can't use Google Chrome or can't use Firefox or whatever, like they're going to be way behind in, in the rest of the world's web. Like this is a forcing function that these big companies could go do. And then they would install and say, hey, you know what? If you want to see a directory of the trust brokers, here are the trust brokers that are most trusted in America. Here are the trust brokers that are most trusted here. You can choose your trust broker. We're not making any opinions on this, but there's just this meta review site of all the different trust brokers that are out there and reviewers that are out there. Um, and you can land on that site. And that's just sort of one of the starting points for, for using the web. Um, and if features of the browser include as nat natively, native features as you know, um, an extension that Imagine a Chrome extension just for now that can tell you a fact check warning on an article that you're reading. It's like, hey, this was reviewed to be false. This piece of information was reviewed to be false. This um, this uh, was also said to omit this detail, which it was said to omit this detail by this, this trusted source. Um, all this is is important to to see. Um, and I, I often say, by the way, that the the biggest in the Western world, um, there's even a need for this. It's not just in these oppressive societies, because the biggest hidden force that the media exert is deciding what is newsworthy and what is not newsworthy. Yeah. And there's many things that happen that are really important that just don't get a lot of media attention. Mm -hmm. In terms of influencing an election, like there's always good and bad stuff going on that could support or condemn a particular candidate and by choosing to make a big deal out of some of these things mm -hmm. versus downplay other of these things that's the biggest hidden power that gets exerted well, and by media is really interesting because andrew yang uh you know they, i just saw a, a tweet where somebody posted the money raised by five different candidates and one of them you know one of them was like 15 million 12 million 13 uh, 12 million 10 million, 6 million, uh, and uh, Andrew Yang had raised $10 million, but he wasn't even in the thing. So he was higher than some of the people. And it's like, yeah, it's all an editorial decision. But the, issue, the interesting thing about that is that now that their, their relative power, they still have absolute power, but their relative power has declined. And now anything can be published. And now we're facing an, a, almost another story, which is that we have so much information uh, that it's extremely difficult to find what is signal, what is noise. Which goes back again to 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 the things we were talking about earlier. About we need to have a fil filtering box as well. well. I, th I think it's an individual thing yeah. where it's like where, oh, it's, where it's where it's qigong. It's like it's yeah. the attention awareness, like how yeah. to, how to train awareness to know what is signal, what is not. Yeah. And I know you said you had to go at eight, so I wanted to make sure that you still have your time. That sounds reasonable. Okay. Cool. 
So uh, shall we do uh, demos of any sorts or what's well, the Well, we don't really have the video on that on anymore, so um, uh, probably not the time. Yeah, but we can uh, we can let our listeners know about. Uh, can they get access to it now? Well, uh, so a couple of things uh, worth looking at. Um, first. Um, You can see a couple of teasers about what my company does if you go to ideaflow.io and um, it's not the most um, informative of videos, it's sort of a teaser. Uh, and if you send me an email at jacob at ideaflow.io, I can send you a full-on proper demo. Um, there's two videos that are worth looking at on the homepage. One is the graph view, and the other is the bullet view. Um, and you'll get to understand what I mean by notebook that augments your intelligence and also a system to connect and map webs of ideas, though the examples on webs of companies. The real thing I want to create long-term is the strategic global idea reserve because Lack of inspiration is a public health problem, and there's many brilliant people who are languishing at Google, languishing in the dungeons of Google, um, and just there because they're trapped in local minimum, they don't have that idea that's going to allow them to escape. Uh, and I, I actually got a chance to use it before before we before we started recording recording, uh, and it's pretty cool. It's uh, definitely something I would use. So uh, yeah, check out ideaflow.io. Yeah, if you're a big personal note taker, like a keep someone who keeps a list of ideas, a list of quotes, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, would love to be in touch with you and have you sign up. Um, we also just raised a whole bunch of funding, and we are hiring. So if you know anyone who's a great JavaScript engineer who'd love to do this, or an iOS engineer who'd love to do this, or you know, if you just want to noodle on amazing Memexy personal information management tools, uh, that's a resource. Um, another resource I can plug very briefly is uh, if you go to systematicawesome.jacobcole.net, you can see a whole bunch of Google documents and other things that uh, I have been using over the many years to curate communities of people and connect people. They range from a giant database of hackathon ideas mm. to list of amazing body workers. Um, the former you can find at hackathonprojects.jacobcole.net. The latter you can find at bodymasters.jacobcole.net. And they're all linked from systematicawesome.jacobcole.net. That is J-A-C-O-B-C-O-L-E dot net. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed this episode with Jacob. Uh, please tune in on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other podcasting platforms, uh, releasing episodes every day, Monday through Friday. Uh, and I'd love to have your uh, subscription and maybe even a review if you're feeling comfortable. Uh, also, I'm on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, III. Uh, please go ahead and send me a message to tell me what you think about this episode or any of the other episodes I'm publishing. Have a great day. Thanks.